What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Marquee on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me for the first time in his official co-hosting duties, we've got Tommy. Good evening, Captain. It is an absolute honor to join you this evening, and I could not be more excited to discuss one of the first fun movie theater experiences of the Zodiac Year of the Rabbit, 2023. Hell yeah. We also got Hayden. Hello. And we've got Nick. I am amped to talk horror. That's how I'm feeling right now. As am I. We are reviewing the sixth installment of the Scream franchise, appropriately named Scream 6. Before we get into the meat of the discussion, let's let, let, let's see where we all are in terms of the franchise at large. Tommy, I'll start with you since I think this is your first time on the podcast talking about Scream. So get, get, give us your background of, wh- of where you stand. I think that obviously the first one's fantastic. I, it's really going back and rewatching it. You've got the, I would say that the best way, the best way to rank it is it's just a level of appreciation that you have from taking a story that started as a love letter to horror movies as a whole, a, a subgenre that had a, that had a shelf life on straight to video at that point and was resurrected through one simple love letter to horror movies, a film that Kevin Williamson himself wanted to watch. And then ultimately that would spawn into a sequel and then a trilogy rules that allowed the audience to play along with it. And that's why nothing, while nothing beats the original, the story continues to evolve. And while Certain levels of appreciation, at least in my eyes, see Roman Bridger's story being higher than, say, Mickey's or even Jill's for that matter. The motivation that each ghost face brings to, brings to the table is what makes it such a fun experience. You have the original, then you have three, then four, then two, or maybe, yeah, two would, two would be ahead of four. But then continuing it to today... It's just the motivation and the love letter to this genre that sets it apart, that sets it apart. And that's what makes it so much fun. Nick, what about you? Your overall thoughts on the franchise leading up to this one? See, it feels more appropriate calling it a franchise after watching this one. But I guess uh, to kind of make my opinion on the entire series as a whole kind of fresh like what can i say about the original that hasn't already been said it's a genre defining classic if you really think about it Wes craven really has three if you want to be generous and include hills have eyes four like he has at least if you want to be debatable and include hills have eyes like i was saying he has three genre-defining classics for exploitation cinema, Last House on the Left. For slasher movies, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And then in the 90s, he came back and did it again with Scream. So I, I, I don't really know how much more I can say. Just if you're a horror fan, you need to have at least have seen the original Scream at least once. 
2 is a sequel that has really grown on me the more times I watched it. I remember my initial viewing when I got the first three movies on DVD back in high school. I was like, it's decent. And then just years later, having obviously seen a lot more horror movies, I'm like, I appreciate so much more about this movie that just the way it lampoons sequels, how it's gorier, how it progresses the story well enough. And it has my favorite joke in the entire series. It involves Courtney Cox. And that is all I'm going to say if you have not seen Scream 2 either. But I'm guessing you guys at least know which one I'm probably referring to. All I will say is it involves her friend's co-star. Then mm-hmm. Scream 3 kind of just is what it is. Uh, I don't really feel like I'm saying anything new by saying it's the weakest entry in the series. Real world situations factoring in lack of Kevin Williamson having written the script for it. There are things that I can appreciate about it, like the sense of finality and the chemistry between the three main characters it factors like that hold up just i i am really not a fan of roman as ghostface in this just me personally he just does not work as well as a villain for me and plus because new metal is the biggest guilty pleasure for me the soundtrack kicks ass i mean when you throw slipknot system of a down's not a new metal band i stand by it but throw them in throw static x and incubus into the mix like old incubus this is something i can get behind uh four is one i really didn't like when i first watched it but whenever i come back to it when i'm watching every one of them to prepare for these recent two entries i'm finding more i like about it a lot of the social commentary in terms of like social media works i really love kirby as kind of i don't want to say the replacement to randy meeks because you can never replace randy but like if you totally had to Kirby's just awesome. She's arguably my favorite part of four. And the fact that Ghostface is just allowed to be more aggressive and more violent. Like the thing that I kind of couldn't help but notice re- on more rewatches, just how much more violent it is in hindsight. And then, kind of like what Hayden has talked to us all about off air, I have a lot of personal things to say about Scream 5. I was going through a really bad situation with a job, and I, I, one of my rewards for getting hired at my current job was going to go see Scream 5 opening night, and I wasn't sure what to think going into it. I had liked Radio Silence's movie Ready or Not, and I went, this is good, but I'm still kind of kind of wondering what the similarities to Scream really are. But like once I just sat down in the theater, soaked in the entire experience... This ended up being my second favorite in the entire series, honestly. And plus, who would have thought Courtney Cox would have gotten the best kill in the entire movie? Like, I did not expect that going into this. 
Nice. And plus, um, also, just you knew in 2022, if Jenna Ortega was getting horribly, horribly murdered at the beginning of a movie, you knew it was probably going to be good. And I say that with all due respect to her because I've loved her in basically everything she's in. Of course. All right, Hayden, um, where where do you stand now since the last time that we talked about Scream? So, um, to start off, Scream is kind of, for lack of a better term, my comfort franchise, which to some people might seem a little strange, but, you know, I've embraced that. And first one, obviously, classic, cannot be topped for what it did and how it uh, revived the slasher genre. And Scream 2, I think in a lot of ways, has some things that are superior to the first film, even if the whole film is not better. There are aspects and scenes that I think are a franchise high. Going into Scream 3, it has grown on me. There's a lot that I appreciate, specifically Parker Posey. I stan. And the messaging is weirdly more relevant now than it was back then, which is ironic considering who was involved with uh, basically ruining the movie. In I will not name names. And four, I actually have a lot of fondness for four because, for one thing, it is the first Scream entry that I was able to see in theaters upon release. And for that, I kind of think I just do hold a sort of personal reverence for it. In hindsight, there are some things that are better, some things that are iffy, I think that it has some issues in terms of uh, standing on its own visually. I think that the camera work doesn't quite feel as innovative now as it did for even the first three entries. And it does have a ghost face that I really like because of how diabolical uh, the their plan is and then we get to five again helped me through a very very difficult time in my life I might not be standing here today if not for screen five and I will just close off by saying I feel like I can't really rank the franchises properly so what I do is I kind of see each one of as having a pro or a con that exists in it and not the others. So one might have a ghost face that I prefer, but scenes that I'm not as crazy about. So, you know, it's kind of a give and take. All of this was a very roundabout and scattershot way of saying that I appreciate each one in the franchise for a different reason. All of them are special to me. All of them are my children. Thank you. That's a, well, that works. Well said. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to pick favorites because, you know, there are times with certain franchises, with certain franchises, it really, you don't know, you can't really place them on a particular ranking. And of course it could change over time, but once you rank something and then they're on a particular, you make a particular list, you release it. Sometimes, sometimes the people won't let you, won't let you change your mind. It's just, yeah, that's it's hard to that, do. That's what I was, that's what I was struggling with. Um, there, there was a prompt earlier today on, on Twitter that, um, you know, that had people ranking the scream uh, movies. And I basically spent the whole day like um, playing musical chairs with each of the entries. But as, as a whole, I think the one thing that I can say that um, hasn't been brought up yet is I think scream is not, is not just a great send up of, the horror like the slasher genre i think it's a great first it's a great first franchise for people who want to get into horror but don't really know where to start this this is every bit um like entertaining as it is like educational for people who want to kind of um see the tropes in in action but also kind of make fun of how ridiculous they can be and that's pretty much exactly the reason why the first scream is still to this day considered a classic. Before we like, really like, start like, talking about six, I was actually going to say, just to kind of avoid spoilers, because I really don't think you can talk about a scream movie without like getting into spoilerific territory. So I was actually just thinking how about we just go around and just be like what is our general thoughts on this one and then just like tear into the events of this movie yeah um we'll, we're we're going to do our general thoughts but yeah. i'm going to warn the audience like outside of this we basically can't say anything without without getting into spoilers so mm. this is this is your warning now because after 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 this, um, anything is fair game. Now, with that being said, Hayden, what are your thoughts on Scream 6? So, Scream 6, I think, is potentially the freshest that the franchise has felt since Scream 2. And the reason I say this is... For one thing, I think an issue with 4 and 5, which are both movies that I love, and it might not even be really an issue, but it's just something that I have noticed and I'm acknowledging. They do both have a bit of a habit of really emulating the first movie in... Which is fine. It can do that. But it comes to a point where I'm glad that they have finally broken those chains and really made something that feels new again. So I am very happy that it is no longer in Woodsboro. It is its own thing. It is its own animal. And the franchise is clearly going to evolve. If Scream 5 was just a okay, we are taking this back to basics. 
this is them basically breaking out of that cocoon and saying, okay, let's fucking do this. And this, I love how they really took advantage of the new setting to give us some of the best, both some of the best kills, some of the best scenes, some of the best set pieces, some of the best cinematography that it has been. And it is truly its own thing. And I am very thankful for that. Well said. Um, Tommy, what about what about you? Your general thoughts on Scream 6? Captain, my thoughts on Scream 6 center around the experience of going to the movies. When the experience, story construction, and involvement of the audience come together in such a memorable manner, that is when the viewer knows that they are in for something special. The story doesn't have to be perfect, yet when the ingredients come together so superbly, it's the type of moment that lives with the viewer between that moment and the rest of the calendar year. Everything is all set. The viewer arrives, they sit in their assigned seat. They witness newbies pre-show before the opening credits. The lights then dim. The anticipation is on full rich, and the viewer is set for the real D 3D Scream 6 experience. There's only one problem. When the movie started, the real D 3D flickered on and off sequence. As a result, during my screening, the movie was paused during the pre-title sequence. The theater's manager, who was appropriately named Sid, spoke to myself and other members of the audience. Sid was spectacular, a true professional and showcase of what customer service represents. AMC is incredibly lucky to have him representing one of their fine establishments. When the problem was fixed, pristinely, might I add, Scream 6 was restarted and the terror of Woodsboro, California made its way to the city that never sleeps. 315 months after the original theatrical release of Scream, we arrive at the sixth chapter of a slasher horror story centered around the terrorizing of teenagers who were horror movie enthusiasts. Each chapter has explored various horror movie tropes and cliches. The exploration allowed the enthusiasts to understand how to utilize their underlining themes as a way to survive. An essential mindset each chapter would ultimately allow the viewers to play along in understanding the rules of surviving the five chapters of before. The original, the sequel, the trilogy, the remake, and the requel. In this sixth chapter, this generation of enthusiasts come to understand they are now a part, they are not a part of a horror movie anymore. They are a part of a franchise. Within the realm of slasher horror, the enthusiasts must now learn how to survive the rules of the franchise and its subversions. The undermining power and authority of an established system and its intuitions. It is a story that continues the legacy that began 315 months ago. And as with the 2022 release of the story's fifth chapter, Melissa Barrera delivers another standout performance. Her character arc and teamwork with Jenna Ortega provided champagne chemistry and a great message that elevates the story as something more than that of a simple slasher horror film. From a character standpoint, the tag team of the Carpenter sisters have become, they've taken center stage in the Scream story. 
And while the Core 4 became the requel rendition of the Woodsboro 3, it is the welcomed focus on Sam and Tara's teamwork in their chemistry, power, believability, and the overall delivery of Barrera and Ortega. The story's greatest strength that sets up a wonderful direction if the franchise sticks with this trend and its direction for the future. The one thing that I will add is, as with the five previous installments within the Scream franchise, the viewer's enjoyment will be dependent on the demeanor and mindset that they take with them going into the movie. On one hand, Scream 6 is an extremely violent and brutal feature while deserving of its R rating. On the other hand, viewers who are regular viewers within the genre of horror alongside enthusiasts of staple franchises within motion picture history may see Scream 6 as an appreciative, excuse me, as an appreciative way and how it satirically explores the rules of the franchise and the role it plays in the key to survival. Some of the satirical elements will not overly over the top elevate black comedy in mannerisms that some viewers may consider a turnoff. And though it is a work of fiction, it is a disturbing look into what drives specific character motivations, exercises in deconstruction protagonists and antagonists. Now, I viewed Scream 6 in the real D3D experience, which is, for those unfamiliar with different technologies, is a, it's a digital stereoscopic projection technology based out of Beverly Hills. Some releases utilize the technology as merely a cash grab, but in the case of Scream 6, there were some moments specifically a moment in the pre-title sequence that made the technology well worth it. Either format that you decide to see Scream 6 in at the theaters will be memorable, but the real D, 3D made this experience as genuine. If you are comfortable with returning to the theater and are familiar with the story, it is well worth witnessing the next generation of performers shine through. Awesome. Nick, what about you? Uh, mine is more going to be more just kind of going to be maybe just a couple of sentences because mine's, uh, I, I absolutely loved Scream 6. I thought that it took everything that made Scream 5 so good in the first place and just amped it up and just took it and just made it all that much more better. Yes, it is a continuation of a requel and kind of like what Hayden was saying how four and five do do kind of just borderline worship the first movie. I kind of buy that in the entire continuity and premise of this entire series, though, given that four's lampooning the oversaturation of remakes, torture porn, and just in general the state of horror at that point in 2011 but then in 2022 you have things like quote elevated horror and then you have requels of series like we're getting a direct sequel to the original exorcist this year the 2018 halloween the 2021 Candyman, last year's requel of hellraiser if you want to even call it that if you want to be pretty loose with the term throw in the 2013 remake of evil dead without going into that territory star wars for that matter with scream six though it's different location does help benefit its story and kind of doesn't have it just be let's just coast on the laurels of 
Sydney, Dewey, and Gale for the entire movie. Like, it's it's not just that. It's like, we can make these new characters stand on their own merit and tell an actually interesting story throughout the entire movie while still being respectful of Wes Craven, the characters that he helped create with Kevin Williamson, and just... All for that matter, just making it a meaner, gorier experience than probably any Scream movie has been up to this point. So, like, as a horror fan, I walked away absurdly happy with this. For me, this is about as on par with five. Maybe has a bit of an edge, but that all depends on my rewatch from when I pick up the 4K of this. So, as of this recording, this is my second viewing of Scream 6, uh, both times in, in Dolby, because that's just how I watch all my movies, if if they're available. And I, th- I think now, by, by now, it's pretty much definitively my second favorite Scream film in the entire franchise for pretty much all the reasons that have been stated before. And to put my thoughts a little bit more succinctly, this this is both like everything that made the entire franchise great, both from like an in-universe um, sort of homage to Radio Silence just knowing exactly how to handle these characters. Um, but this time putting putting them in a brand new setting um where the stakes are are raised pretty significantly since since in in New York any anything can happen and yeah the like the kills are great um there are a number of terrific set pieces and by the by the end of this movie i was just very excited to see what the future lies for the carpenter sisters the rest of the core four and just anyone else who finds themselves wrapped up in in this whole uh ghost face um experience so now that we got our general thoughts out of the way now we can start to really pick this movie apart Starting with probably one of the best opening scenes in the entire franchise, which totally flips flips like the rules on their head. Um, Hayden, do you want to describe what happens in this opening scene? So first off, I um, before I forget, I would just like to bring up the method in which I saw Scream 6 on that fateful Thursday evening. So because I have AMC A-list, I took it upon myself to go to, first off, the 3D fan event at 5 p.m., which I did. And when that was over, my boyfriend uh, got off of work So I was able to see it for my second time at 8 p.m. right after that. But that was not enough for I had a group of people that I knew were going to see it at 11.30 p.m. at a different theater. So I then 
drove to another theater to see it for the third time in one night. And that time was in Dolby. And recently, I went to the final 40X showing for my fourth time. And I have two more times to come so I can at least match the number of the movie. This is really all just to say how insane I am as a human. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. I might have overdid it. But do I have any regrets? No, I do not. Hey, I got the Ghostface plushie, the bottle buddy, and the popcorn bucket head. So, hey, (laughs) I think we both went all out there, Hayden. Um, The only thing I'm really going to say about the opening is as much as I loved Samara Weaving in Ready or Not, yeah, it sucks what happened to her in it. But you know what? I am just happy Spooky Astronauts was not right about her being the ghost face killer, and I could not be more happy about that. And then there comes the twist. The the twist is exactly the reason why I love this opening. And it's it's not that I... um, It's not that I wasn't excited to see Tony Ravioli in this um in this movie i just think it was the perfect uh subversion of expectations so we are in spoiler territory now right yes Yes. exactly so i guess uh we might imagine you can imagine the audience's surprise when right after ghostface slashes mara weaving the mask is off immediately and Tony Revolori blends in back to society. And some might note that the title card has not come up yet. Right after the slash, you would think normally Scream 6 would pop up, but it does not. And he walks back to his apartment and things get interesting. And it is so exciting to see something like this in an opening that does not repeat the original movie again. This is something completely different, and I am thankful for it. Like, oh yeah, in way in ways, every screen movie does kind of copy the formula if you think about it. But the best way I can describe it is kind of a cooking analogy, I guess. Yes, there are ways you can make macaroni and cheese, but there's different ways you can make it to still make it taste delicious and just make it something that makes you want to keep returning to it on repeat. So in this case, to see a scream opening that isn't just Ghostface taunts somebody and then starts going stabby stabby with somebody kind of is cool. I will kind of give Stuckman, Chris Stuckman's review a little bit of credit to a degree as much as I disagreed with aspects of his Scream 5 review when that came out last year. But with this, yeah, it would have been cool to kind of know who the Ghostface killer was and then slowly drip feed like how they're going to cover it up. But at the same time, just the way that the entire opening scene just builds its tension is just so genius that you kind of can't help but go, 
you know what? At this rate, I'm just along for this movie's ride, and I'm not going to complain too much. Kind of makes wonder. Go ahead, Mank. I'm sorry. I was going to say, like that. That's kind of how how I felt. Like as as cool as it would have been to to see like a fully unmasked Ghostface. I think how they hand how they handled that um, in the in like the film proper was was the right choice. Go ahead, Tommy. Yeah, and I'll piggyback off of that, Captain, by saying that I think if they did that, would it have been would have been too bold? It would have been a, it would have been a big risk, but that would have been too Jason Goes to Hell for the Scream franchise. And I liked Jason Goes to Hell a lot. I'm one of the big defenders of that movie. But anyway, kind of makes one wonder what, even though they said they wanted to continue Richie's movie, it kind of makes one wonder what kind of a what kind of a movie they they would have made but then once you get to that that slash i when 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 it get when it got to that trademark slash the title card that you that use of in my head was one of the of course that was one of the better that was one of the more memorable opening opening soundtrack needle drops in my in my eyes probably since something to die for and to add on to that I think, would it have been interesting to see a film where at least one of the ghost faces you know right off the bat and see how they managed to try to trick everyone? Sure. Is that the movie that they made? No. So I'm kind of of the mindset of I'm just going to judge the movie on what it did rather than what it could have done personally. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like yeah. Rather than just kind of go like, oh, I would have done this. I- you kind of just have to go into one of these movies and just kind of accept it on its own merits. Absolutely. uh, Do we want to uh, tear the uh, glaring omission bandaid off right now, Mike? Yeah, we, we might as well. Um, Okay. I'll, uh, I'll take the, if is it cool if I take this one, go ahead. So this is the very obvious one. And this is, all production stuff to kind of piggyback on what we were just talking about in terms of what could have been, or in this case, real world, real world circumstances, not letting what could have been. So basically long story short, this is the first screen movie not to have Sidney Prescott in it at all. Nev Campbell due to, long story short money issues and how like she's being compensated in terms of like appearing in the next movie she decided not to return for this one does it suck yes because i love sydney i think everybody on this podcast loves her and for good reason she's a phenomenally written character in the entire series i love seeing her when she pops up in these it's it's a bummer she's not here, but at the same time, it would have felt like overkill just bringing her back for more punishment with Ghostface. And low-key, the best way I can put it is I kind of just want to see Sydney just go off and live her best life without having to deal with Ghostface anymore. And the movie even kind of brilliantly just is like, yeah, she wants no involvement and we don't blame her. Just go let her be a mom. Yeah. Um, ap- apparently, like her, 
lack of involvement um, didn't really affect the script that much because it it was so early in production that they they just kind of went ahead with the story they were telling. Um, and yes, while I do miss seeing Sidney Prescott in the film, I completely respect Nev Campbell's choice to, um, like, be, being blunt, say, like, I'm not getting paid enough for all of my contributions, therefore, I am I am walking away. Um, you know, it, it's, it sucks that she's not there, but I completely respect her decision under, under those circumstances. 100%. And again, just the way, the way they handle her not being in this movie, again, cannot be more respectful. Just, you know, despite the issues with her being fairly compensated, the way they handle her not being in this movie is just the most respectful way that you can say Sydney's not coming back, but you know, still acknowledges the character at least. And I do think that it is a fair opportunity to give these new characters a chance to shine rather than just kind of have them, you know, as much as uh, I do defend the later Star Wars movies it does kind of give them more of an opportunity not to just piggyback off of the legacy characters. And they do kind of geniusly poke fun of that and the star Wars fan base throughout five and six. Mm -hmm. Like even the way they kind of introduce the idea of just this being Ghostface is basically just continuing a franchise. We're all part of it. So legacy characters, whether it's Kirby being back or Gail coming back for her sixth movie here, they're fair game to be killed off. We're all fair game to be killed off. Hayden, anything to add? Um, I don't know if I have much to add besides I am so thankful that Kirby is back because she was also one of my favorite characters from Scream 4. And... We, I got my wish. A lot of fans got their wish, and after much, much speculate, after much speculation, after that little Easter egg in Scream Five, we finally have her returning, and it is nice to see. And I am also, um, I also feel I should bring up that it is nice to see Hayden Panettiere returning to acting after a few years of not really being in anything yeah agreed real world circumstances circumstances that we do not need to mention but yeah yeah like that's my thing hayden did you cheer like i did in the theater when she showed up oh i did and i'm at one of the screenings i might have been the only one who did still no regrets Oh, me neither. I, I, my arms were literally like this in the air, like, fuck yeah, Kirby's back. And to be honest, me and uh, one of my friends from Instagram, we were kind of wondering, and the movie kind of eventually hints at it, that Kirby might be the ghost face killer. Like, 
she totally thought that yeah something feels suspicious about her coming back so at least the way they kind of throw that in it's not a superfluous like oh let's bring a fan favorite character back because we can the way they actually bring her back is really well done and makes logical sense when you think about it and and all and all of those like hints of maybe she could be the ghost face killer those are such great uh, red herrings um, until until they get to the actual reveal, which we'll get to we'll get to in a minute. But Tommy, what are your thoughts on um, Kirby returning to the franchise? It was done in a wonderful way. Like you knew she was coming back. You knew she was coming back through the through the promotional material, but you don't exactly know. And even when you think when you look at this movie and are just watching it down the road and you see how how she was presented and her new role how she's grown up and and her connection to these characters specifically with the carpenter sisters it was so nicely done and even though even though it was teased at a point to where i mean of, of course going with the notion of everyone's a suspect it it added to that element, yet at the same time, it was such a relief that it didn't go down that potential route because it would have been like, it, it would have just been really bad for the story as a whole. And not only that, but the treatment of characters and saying, and saying that anybody can be X, Y, Z, or this trope, that trope, etc. But I really liked it a lot. Was it? Go ahead. Thinking back, thinking back, was it the best? Was it the best return of a character in that perspective? I don't know, but it was really nicely and respectively done. And how seeing such a character grow up into this next generation. But yeah, I really liked it a lot. Um, I just wanted to say that, you know, in terms of the red herring thing brought up earlier. It is just kind of one of the things that I think is one of the franchise staples in that I, I watched a Scream 5 with commentary, uh, with the director, uh, writer commentary um, by Radio Silence. And they brought up that, you know, they need to follow the franchise's um, history by making everybody super suspicious. Like, just everybody, no matter if they're the killer or not, everybody is suspicious. Everybody does weird things that make the audience think that they could be the killer. And that's that's the trick. There's a reason why there's a reason why that scene between Dewey and Randy in the ice cream shop was the teaser trailer for for Scream 2. Everybody's a suspect. Well, if you're a suspect, then I'm a suspect. Beautifully done on every level. And that's and connect staying with that connection. It makes sense, but do you have to do it in that particular manner every time? That is that is honestly a good a good question, but I I like I like the way they handle it in this movie. And something else I I really liked um is the way they handled um the Carpenter sisters, specifically Sam, who for at at least like 
it's it's more it's more the focus in like the first half where um she becomes pretty much the villain of the week on social media oh. with like all oh. with all of these conspiracy theories about her being being like the real being responsible the... for what happened in the last movie yeah basically like i i personally took that just because of my general aggressive distaste for the star wars fandom and their reaction to these recent movies i totally just take that as a parody and kind of low-key a little bit of some trash talk against how that fan base reacted whether you like those movies or not kind of is parodying the overkill of the reaction to those three movies like to the point where you know there's a literal scene where sam is going to a party that tara's at to prevent her from you know doing something really stupid with a guy who's going to take advantage of her while she's drunk that some random girl on the street literally just throws a drink in her face and says fuck you you're the one responsible for uh, all these killings and you're a psychopath and this that and the third and it's like holy shit this just went from zero to eleven in like not even a second so like personally i just kind of take that as just like a commentary on fandom to that extent but at the same time it feels like it feels like a story progression that organically makes sense something that i can actually picture to where you know the last movie focused so much on critiquing fandom while also critiquing like the current state of horror in terms of like you know requels and you know quote elevated horror i think the way that that was handled was just super well done and kind of on the pulse not only yeah. that nick um not only that nick but the the way i see it is when that when that element of the story was added in when when she's when sam is sitting in her in her therapist in her therapist session and and that element was introduced you're thinking to yourself oh you've got to be kidding me like from an element of like trying to force unnecessary drama or this false narrative this it's one of the reasons like in a, talking about another franchise you know harry potter and the order of phoenix you think to yourself these movies are getting better and better and can do no wrong and then and then this the serious black uh nonsense it was just really really frustrating like a you think it's it's just going to be a frustration attempt at trying to build drama or sympathy in that case but then when you think about it specifically in the case of false narrative it's a real world influence that adds to it and in an era where false narratives and fake news tend to dominate outlets for all the wrong reasons james vanderbilt and guy music screenplay explores that damage in mannerisms that initially leave the viewer confused and on that aforementioned realization that societal aspect in the screenplay allows members of the world's population could really learn from this presentation of fiction it questions the state of one's own responsibility in wanting to dissect and decide for themselves what the facts and the truth of new stories actually are. And that's what I really admire and how and have appreciation and 
it, it really highlights how one's choice in news coverage, it allows them to take a look at their own moral compass and how it becomes a representation of themselves, a life lesson on how one can take a deep look at themselves and what responsible investigation is all about. Well so, said. So one thing I also want to add um, in terms of this discussion on Sam, for those who did not know uh, listening, is that when Scream 5 came out, I noticed on a lot of social media platforms that there were some fans who really hated Sam. It was just a common occurrence I saw. It's Sam sucks. I hate her. I hope she dies. And a lot of that. And there was some toxicity in the fandom towards Melissa Barrera and her performance. And I think that bringing that element in does add that bit of it was, a, I think that was a really good decision on the part of the filmmakers to bring in some of the real world reactions to comment on the franchise as it was going and comment on how Sam as a character and was treated by select members of the fandom. I, I remember hearing about that. Um, that. Yeah, don't know I, why. I remember do. hearing about that in like, in various interviews and um both both times i saw the movie like that that was like very clearly on the back of my mind when when those scenes played out like low-key how stupid do you think especially if this seventh movie comes out either next year or two years from now and this last movie in this new trilogy ends up being like really great and kind of brings everything full circle. How stupid do you think those people are going to end up feeling for going like, God, I just trash talked this human being who got some genuinely badass moments, like especially the scene towards the end of the movie where she's got the gun. She's got one of the ghost face killers at gunpoint. How stupid do you think those people are going to feel in just a few years? I don't understand why people would hate that performance in, in, in Scream 2022, because like I said, like I said, in my, in my review, she was a tour de force. She was the best part of the movie. She stole the show and that's what helped elevate her to super, to the superstar today. And it's what will at the very least be a genre performer for the very, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, exactly. One thing I want to bring up is the kill scenes because it's a slasher movie. You got to bring it up. Um, one thing before we started recording this, Ghostface has never been this like brutal of a killer. Like I, I'm used to seeing. I just showed my uncle a month ago when I was rewatching the series. I was like, "Hey, I'm getting ready for Scream Six have you seen the original scream and he hadn't seen it before actually so i actually got to show it to him for the first time eventually when ghostface gets knocked over for the first time i literally told him heads up this is gonna happen to ghostface a lot <laughs> but then eventually with uh with five and especially going into six 
I'm totally getting the vibe that the radio silence guys were just watching Terrifier 2 on a loop and just how that set a standard for kill scenes and gore. And they were like, okay, how can we take that and put that into a Scream movie? Because I have never seen, like, if 5 was Ghostface by way of his counterpart in the video game Dead by Daylight then this is Ghostface by almost by way of Art the Clown because, like, I've never seen Ghostface just, like, repeatedly stab people and I'm like, I'm used to it cutting away so much, but it's like, it ramps up the violence, it ramps up the gore, but it never just feels excessive or gratuitous. It feels like it's actually benefiting the story, especially with the reveal bearing in mind. It you kind of can't help but go, okay, it makes sense that Ghostface is more aggressive just given the motivation that's revealed at the end. Yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever been this terrified of of Ghostface. Um especially during like the biggest set pieces of of the film. I man, there 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 are at least like three or three to four like big set pieces. Um and any one of them could be my favorite, but I kinda wanna go around the room and and um and toss that question to the rest of you guys. Hayden, I'll start I'll start with you. Of of like the four, um for those who don't know, it would be the bodega scene um the ladder the subway and the i'll i'll just say the entire third act so i want to give a special shout out to the ladder scene and for a certain reason it looked really cool in the 3D i thought um and uh like they really did uh do the depth quite well i thought and um, one thing that I wanted to bring up about the latter sequence was I think that uh, the performance of Devin Nakoda in that scene is really genuinely heartbreaking. Um, just uh, as uh, Mindy's girlfriend, Annika, is going across the ladder from one apartment building to another, um, the ladder is suddenly grabbed and just uh, the cries of, I, I don't want to die. It just looks so genuine on the part of the actor. And it really does make you feel for the human being that is being killed at that very moment. And I just wanted to shout that out because I think that really elevates it and makes it uh, something quite tragic that really did bring out something that I, think has been missing from some later entries this genuine emotion that these are people's lives that are being lost yeah and to to jump off that point um i kind of have to go back to the opening where the voice of ghostface says like um like like it's not this is not just um just me these these are like these are human beings and that scene kind of is just a great example of Ghostface's quote. 
um Nick, how he, of, how of, he can get in your head, basically, how he just kind of plays on whatever emotion you're going through as soon as he makes that phone call to you. Yes. And um, before I toss it back to you, I I I kind of had a fun like a, a joke observation about about Ghostface, how I, I kind of compare him to like the like the mask where like the second you put on um, the Ghostface mask, you like. You just become a different character. Um, I don't know. I, I I just kind of found when, when, once I put two and two together, I just was kind of amused by that observation. Anyway, Nick, of of the four big set pieces, do you have a particular favorite? Yes, I do. But to kind of piggyback off your previous point, I was actually just watching Jeremy Johns' one of his reviews of basically. It was either four or five. It would have had to have been four, mostly just because of the fact that there's really no character or villain in the realm of horror where the killer literally is just multiple people, different iterations of this same killer, but they still are Ghostface and like it's kind of like Batman in that sense if you think about it where it's like the entire purpose is that you're not you're not supposed to suspect this person would be Ghostface so I I I do think it's genius in that regard but anyways um (laughs) my favorite sequence in the entire movie you could count this as more towards the third act of the movie but I would have to go with the train sequence when I was describing this to people, obviously spoiler free to, you know, quote, keep the ending from leaking onto the internet. (laughs) So I literally was telling people, this is one of the most tense scenes I have seen in a horror movie in a while. Just the way it's not flashy or overblown it literally is just like, okay, let's throw our characters in this situation, but oh shit, a lot of them have ghost face masks on. Are these actual just people dressing up in the ghost face costume, or are they the actual killer? We don't know, so it just kind of leaves you on your toes going like, holy shit, any one of these characters could die at any minute, and like, I'm I'm scared for what's going to happen to them. And the fact that this takes place like at least, at least like a day or two before Halloween, do, does a great job of like adding to the tension of, of like riding the subway when the lights flicker every every so often. So just so just like the staging of the subway scene, I thought was really well done piggybacking off of how I mentioned earlier about the one scene, one scene that was highlighted in Scream 2's teaser trailer, which was the scene of the Baskin-Robbins, the subway scene was so beautifully done, so beautifully done as brilliant marketing strategy by Paramount as the first, as the first teaser trailer, and it, and it paid off. I'll go ahead and say that as the two, there were two moments in my screening that were the tense could, the moments of tenseness could really be felt throughout the theater. 
And Hayden, that latter scene was one of them. And you can really feel yourself on the edge of the seat and seeing this, the intensity of this moment. It was just heartbreaking. This emotionless killer going after human life the way that he did. But adding to that, I, I deter from, I piggyback off of something that I wrote in my Letterboxd review. And it was a reminder of how influential slasher horror has in being within the art of filmmaking. When done right, these moments have potential to stick out in the viewer's mind the moment they think of said piece of work. And in Scream 6, those standout moments of tension leave the viewer tensed up on the edge of their seat, providing the necessary chills one expects when when they're viewing a horror movie of any sort. Two scenes in particular, one being the latter, and the second involving that scene in the bodega, symbolized great examples of how filmmakers could really learn when studying not only how to make a horror movie, but a thriller as a whole. It makes sense that Radio Silence studied films such as Jurassic Park when filming the bodega sequence. I was just about to bring that up, how um, the bodega sequence is basically a a re like a restaged version of the kitchen scene from Jurassic Park. Yes, indeed. So wonderful. So wonderful. So tense worthy. That's I, I that's the type of that's the type of moment that one that one looks at when they're in film school. How can you take something like that in any genre and make it as effective as that? I think that's that's probably one of my favorite moments of the year so far. Well, I mean, the year's still young, but the point still stands. No, I I, I agree. Um, p- picking a favorite between between these four is tough, um, but if I had to, it would probably be the bodega scene, just because this is this is like one of the first examples of the unpredictability of ghost face in this in this new environment and and also just like how like people in new york are always are always willing willing to help others out such as the uh the bodega owner who's pretty pretty much like giving uh the carpenter sisters everything they need to to escape until until he's taken out pretty swiftly Oh, Ghostface will just in this movie, he will fuck your shit up. <laughs> that is the only way I can describe Ghostface in this movie. That entire that entire scene in the uh in the convenience store, I kinda couldn't help but go, Oh my god, anything could happen to anyone in this movie. The exact way it is meant to be, and I absolutely loved it. 
Also, to kind of go back, if you really think about it, a lot of references are made to Jalo movies to kind of go back on, like, the idea of, like, red herrings, which that's throughout the entire series when you look back on the previous five. This one feels more like it, like, there's even direct references to Dario Argento throughout it, the entire sequence with Samara weaving at the beginning, like, there is just nothing but references to Jalo movies, and I'm all here for it, especially after Malignant came out, like, two years ago, so I can't help but get behind that all the more, so I just wanted to throw that little tidbit out there. One thing we probably should mention is how genius of an idea it was to not kill Jenna Ortega off right as she's becoming, like, her star is like rising higher and higher just in the past year alone. Yeah, no, I'm glad that she gets to stay alive and stay pretty active in this movie. I would say like the, like the dynamic between Sam and Tara reminds me a little bit of um, Anna and Elsa from frozen. This, this is basically the horror equivalent of that dynamic. And when you think about it, this, the Carpenter sisters, as a union, this is this generation's equivalent of Sidney Prescott as a whole. And that's what really makes this, that's what really makes this so special. That teamwork and that dynamic sets it apart. You know, a lot of people are talking about the core four, but Sam and Tara and their connection that's the standout moment in this movie. And it's brilliant. And and I do I do like the core four too. Oh yeah. Uh, how can how can one not? It's the Woodsboro three of this generation. Yep. Like eventually, like the movie even kind of pokes fun at the idea of them calling themselves the core four, but like eventually you just kind of can't help but go like, okay, that's cute. I'm going to allow it. It's character bonding moments that make these movies for me, because when you really think about it, Scream is basically just a teen soap opera with extra gore. Exactly. But it's just done so well convincing and you actually care about what's happening and it's not just high school drama with a big budget it you actually care about these characters and you want to see them live to the next movie even if uh if i had to nitpick any fault with the movie the way some characters are horrifically murdered and then you find out eventually that they're alive like especially with towards the third act with chad being stabbed by the ghost face killers <laughs> you kind of can't help but go like dude you were you were basically instead of shot you were basically the 50 cent of this movie where you were stabbed nine times you should not have come back from that i i can only speculate that uh the ki- the killers um somehow missed all of his vital organs well i mean they are basically like straight out of high school you know i know we're in spoiler territory but spoiler alert (laughs) um i guess with that in mind ghost face reveal time 
yeah, let's let's talk about Ghostface. Um, and okay. specifically, let's let's talk about what sets this one apart from like what's come before. Hayden, um, how would how would you describe this version of Ghostface? I'm, you know, I'm not going to say um, much, but at, at least at first, but there is an element to the ringleader of this Ghostface operation that I would be remiss if I did not express that there might be some relevance as to their job position. I won't say more than that, but I just wanted to drop that little nugget of something. If you know, you know. Noted. Um, and all of you can uh, kind of jump off of that and uh, or just ignore it. I appreciate the use of the word jump off because we've been using the word piggyback a lot throughout this podcast. <laughs> um, I guess with that in mind, let's go ahead and uh, spoil the who the Ghostface Killer is. Can I say? One. Can I? Can I say this real quick, Nick? Because oh, go for it. Yeah, because you know, talking about getting into spoilers, to me, it leads into the biggest, the biggest weakness that is Scream Six. And it's predictability in that respect. And when I saw it, I didn't know what the motive was, what the motive was and what led to that ultimate reveal. But I have to say that following the release of Scream 2022 last year, a theory was brought to light about how the individual who sports plaid is either one of or the main antagonist in that respective chapter of the Scream story. And the reason why I say that is the moment Jack Champion's Ethan Landry appeared on screen and I received a good view of his attire, it was no longer a question of if Ethan was Ghostface. It became a question of, is he acting alone or is he an accomplice? So... That is a great observation that even I didn't think of. Um, like, like even even after the second time I watched the movie, like I I was like trying to focus on sort of the subtleties of um, the Ethan Landry character, but I completely overlooked his attire and how that would be like the dead giveaway. Yeah. See that that's the thing about the depth of these screen movies and the thing that I love so much about them is one their continuity is held up pretty well even throughout the movies that are amongst the fandom debated as maybe not the best entries in the entire series like whether you love 3 or 4 or not you can't deny that throughout this entire series for as long running as it's been going, not once have I gone, mm, but they said this in this previous movie, that doesn't make any sense. And then my second thing to add to that is I never noticed the whole flannel 
thing that you had brought up, but at the same yeah. time, one of my favorite jokes on rewatching the first movie again is still when uh, Randy Meeks is watching the original Halloween and he's just like, no, Jamie, look behind you. The killer's behind you. And I didn't realize the play on names that was happening <laughs> even yeah. after seeing the movie so many times. So, you know, may- maybe that's just a testament to how unobservant I am, I guess, but no, that's a really great point, actually. Yeah, because the bigger the bigger twist at that point would have the bigger twist at that point would have been Ethan not being Ghostface, because now now that this now that that theory's been unleashed, the easier question the the easier way to depict it it's just becoming easier and easier. The killer. Now it's going to be now the killer wears plaid, and now when you look back to all six movies, the killer was also wearing blue. Now the radio silence guys probably have just heard this podcast when it gets posted, and they're like, "Fuck, we got to rewrite the next movie now." My my <laughs> inbox is open. My inbox is open on Twitter and Instagram at t underscore thirty five and at the t money thirty five. If you would like to, um, gentlemen at Radio Silence, if you would like my input on script advice, but anyway, I'm just running that they out. Just... There. They just owed you a screenwriting credit just from that statement alone. <laughs> also, uh, if you're listening, cast me in Scream 7. I'll do it for free. Bye. <laughs> just get me a meet and greet with Jenna Ortega and I'll be perfectly okay. Watch the fallout first and then it just might happen. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Uh I guess uh, with the preamble in mind, Ghostface reveal officially tear the Band-Aid off. Yeah. Um, so Let's do it. Um, oh, do we want Hayden to do it? Because I feel like it's been me and Tommy pretty like heavily dominating a lot of this. <laughs> you have 10 seconds. Go! Alright, Hayden, you have the floor. Okay, so um, which one should I start with? I'll start with the other accomplice. Um, before building up to the other one. Um, the reveal of Quinn, who I would like to just bring up that when Quinn quote unquote died, I noticed to myself, I said, hey, we didn't actually really see her get killed. That thought came into my head and left the very next scene. <laughs> And I was kicking myself for completely forgetting that. So, ah, so close. Yet so far. Roman Bridger's spirit called. He wants his moment in cinematic history back. Actually, I'm going to jump in with, uh, with, uh, I'm going to jump in with a point to add to yours, Hayden. Um, Hayden Panettiere actually said in an interview when they were bringing Kirby back was like, we never actually saw Kirby die officially. So was she really dead? <laughs> so I, I just had to throw that point in there since you mentioned it. It, it. It's like one of the most basic rules of storytelling that like no, no body, no, no kill confirmation, but, but yeah, some um like, the second time I saw the movie, um, some something about Quinn's death just didn't add up to me. Both, both like the like the image that Ghostface sent to the core four, 
um it looked it looked like noticeably fake and also um you like you don't really you don't really hear um a lot of like the stab the stab wound sounds um when when the fake death is being performed that's true you don't when you really think about it huh and with that do we go into the final reveal almost sort of Ooh, oh you mean, you mean uh, the yeah, yeah the, 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 the entire all. event and basically makes the entire fifth movie still well the fifth movie obviously matters but makes the fifth movie all that more substantial of a view yes revenge it's a kiss this time they still missed um all all i have to say about um detective bailey is again this is another um repeat viewing observation he's like you can just kind of tell that something's off in in his mannerisms um in the way he presents himself around um the carpenter sisters there there's just something unhinged about his performance and oh, then especially especially just bearing in mind how willing he is to just go in, and i'm just thinking of this completely in hindsight how he basically is just on board with the idea like everybody else is that Sam was the one who was actually responsible for all of the killings in the last movie. So I know a lot of people really haven't been liking the ghost face reveal in this one. I personally really like it mostly just because again, it just keeps the continuity still going throughout this entire series having it actually make sense in the grand scheme of things so no no i i I agree with that so and one thing i would like to add on to that is are individually are they my favorite ghost faces not necessarily but i do like what they represent ultimately and i do like how we get three for a change this is... the words. Go ahead, I'm sorry. So this is the first time we have had three killers, arguably four if you want to count Jason at the beginning. But, and that is something else that has not been done. And the scene of the two um, ghost faces side by side um, swiping their knives is very, very fun. Very cute. I enjoyed that. Fanboy moment. We'll allow it. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> That that entire reveal just kind of felt, again, to kind of go back to, I guess, uh, using Star Wars for, just given how it's kind of making fun of the fan base and kind of the reaction, like, fandom in general, it is kind of Empire Strikes Back in, in that it is kind of going back on what happened in the previous movie, but also just kind of expanding on it, because they want revenge for... Richie being killed at at the end of the last movie and it it's obvious that yeah if somebody if a dad's son got murdered obviously he would want revenge and you know if they had siblings they'd probably want in on it as well so 
it makes sense just on like a basic concept idea, but at the same time, just given everything that had happened in the previous movie, the fact that they orchestrated a conspiracy against her to make her look like to make Sam look like she was responsible for what happened in five, it makes total sense and especially just given that how else would they have access to basically just make a huge shrine to Ghostface? and that's the scarier part of and that's the scarier part of the the build to that element is that how how real it actually is going back to where one where one gets their source of news and how it and that irresponsibility that the that the most naive see in that helped elevate that story and that revenge fantasy to that level the one thing that i will add further is when you look at it's not the first time revenge has been the subject of motive but it ultimately will revolve down the element of it. It'll ultimately revolve around how it'll look side by side several years down the road in the over long term. Because when you think of when you think of the motives of Mrs. Loomis and even Roman Bridger, how will this stack up side by side it's just something it's just something to think about i mean the movie's still wonderful but when you do comparison and contrast in that respect only time will tell to see how it holds up i think it's all depending on assuming that this is just going to be part of this new trilogy of movies i think this all just depends on the third movie kind of tying everything together in a neat bow whether it's the final movie or not time will tell as uh the phrase goes but i guess uh yeah just i i would be perfectly happy if one final movie kind of just brought everything together and that's what if the trend continues that's what that's what it's building towards and you have to stick with that because if they go down a completely different direction with this, it'll lose, it'll lose momentum and it'll just be made to be made because when thinking about the subject of revenge, you have elevated the carp, you've elevated that element into not necessarily from Ghostface standpoint, you have the potential to elevate that to one of the Carpenter sisters in their in their half of their union in their tag team. Push that full push that story further, tying a bow on it. So much you can think about just from that idea alone. Yeah, again, very Empire Strikes Back Ian. I know back Ian isn't a word, but you guys get my point. <laughs> of course. Um like springboarding off what, what Tommy just said, I think the only way that that seven will work is if if you 
um, follow through with how this film ends and where it leaves and where it leaves um, the Carpenter sisters, specifically specifically Sam. Um, but before we get too too deep into that, um, hey, and you had something else you wanted to add? Yeah, I have just a lot of things that I'm going to add. So um, buckle up. Um, I just wanted to start out by saying in terms of the reveal, if you notice during the discussion with the entire, um, when uh, Mindy is discussing the possible suspects in the park, she calls all three of them back to back. She said, she first says it could be Ethan. It could be Quinn. And then when they mention that Quinn's dad is a cop, they all, Mindy responds with, which makes it even more likely. Mindy called it from the very jump. So if you watch the movie again, keep an eye on that. That is something that I noticed. Mm-hmm. She fucking hates this franchise, though. She called it. <laughs> I, I had to make that joke when you said that. And um, another thing is that if if anybody noticed, I Sam indirectly gave Ghostface access to the therapist's information, which led to his death. Oh, if you yeah. if, because Sam says I was at my therapist for my alibi. I will give you his information. She did, and she gave him. Uh, the address and that's how Ghostface got the file another thing that I noticed either I'm just not as observant as I'd like to think I am or this movie just finds new ways to go over my head (laughs) I I blame watching it uh, four times personally but uh, that is something I noticed. Um, and this is just uh, another thing. This uh, will be another observation as to who was responsible for um, the attacks and kills. So um, most of them, so the opening scene, the bodega scene, the therapist, um, all of those near the beginning those were all um, Detective Bailey um, for a lot of reasons, one of which is he seems the most competent. He is, he would be the most likely to know how to use the shotgun in the bodega. Then we established that um, it was Quinn who um, attacked Gail and uh, Mindy on the subway. Um, she says that uh, right off at the final reveal. So then we get to Ethan, and if you look at it, Ethan did not actually end up killing anybody um, because Bailey, Detective Bailey, did most of the actual killings. Quinn managed to kill uh, Gail's boyfriend. Ethan got nobody because he is so pathetic and so obvious, <laughs> and his dad clearly has had the favorite, and... Poor Ethan was not the favorite. Which makes me all the more happy Jenna Ortega got to stab him right in the face. He died and of birth. 
I, uh, uh, no joke, guys, I actually cheered in the theater and I was like, yes, Jenna, stab him again, stab him again. Same. And this is just going to be a random, silly observation um, that may may get cut um, or you can keep it in if any of the listeners get the reference. Um, are any of you familiar with uh, the Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared TV series, not the original web series, but the uh, feature length TV series. They have a TV o- series o- only now, by only by network. name in the UK. It was oh, uh, it was six episodes, and it is honestly maybe one of my favorite uh, comedy shows like of last year. It is really good, honestly, and it's a different format. But um, if anybody uh, knows what I'm talking about, there is an episode um in the tv series um where there are two uh creepy twins who are teaching the characters about family and those were the characters that i was thinking of watching ethan and quinn the whole movie it was just it was just something that would not leave my head if you know you know and that is all i like that i I, I only i only i only vaguely know about um don't hug me i'm scared but just, just, just the thought of that of those two characters did kind of make me chuckle. Yeah, I, I don't really have much to comment on. I've never seen the either series, to be honest. So, uh, I guess any anything we haven't brought up about the movie that none of us have thought of, I guess. Um, Danny is innocent. <laughs> I want to see Jenna Ortega stab Ethan in the face multiple times. I want to see an unrated cut of her pulling the knife out and stabbing him again. I would be down with that. That 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 would probably be like a a viral gif like within the next couple of weeks. Oh, I I I don't use the word rue enough, but I rue the day that I can see that over and over again. Um the last thing I want to mention, which I kind of alluded to earlier, is where the movie um, leaves our our two main protagonists. Um, start starting with with uh, just how cool it is to see uh, Melissa Barrera in the ghost face costume. That was really nice, very nicely done. Also, just. Another shout out to Roger L. Jackson for um what over over thirty years of of excellent vocal performances across like multiple iterations of the Ghostface Killer. Yep, and plus also giving because like as as much as it doesn't rely on legacy characters as a crutch, it does give you nice fanboy moments like Kirby getting to drop the TV that killed Stu on Ethan's head. Yes. That was, I I was, I was more, I was more into that moment. The second time I I saw the film, because in, in between my two viewings, I, I kept seeing like the, Stu is alive theory pop up. Oh. oh, they even reference it outright in the movie. Like they make yep. direct references to Stu. Every every time I've I've seen that theory pop up, like I I I keep I keep looking at like the 
the broken TV and and just think, how how do you survive that? Matthew Lillard's pure insanity. That's how. Fair. Let me ask. Let me ask this question now that now that it's um on the while it's on my mind. If you could take one thing from that shrine, what would it be? Hmm. Oh, that's a tough call. Um. Hmm. I'd I'd probably take one of the books. I I am not sure. I. I'd have to go with something nostalgic from the first movie, but like I'm not even sure what you would go with. Cuz like Sam gets her her dad's mask at the end, so like I can't go with that and his knife. So yeah, that, many, that's a good question actually. So many options. I mean, the obvious one with this, I I mean so there's so so many that you can think about but at this i mean the easiest one for me if i absolutely had to give a rapid fire answer it would be that tv just so i can destroy it just so i could destroy it because Stu is deader than dead he went off to he the multiverse is real and he uh became and he became shaggy rogers and now he's reading and he's reading this story in usa today like scoob what are we gonna do these theories are these theories are weird but hey, uh, you can't forget his. You can't forget Matthew Lillard's character in the remake of Thirteen Ghosts. So yes, that if he we're was. In, if we're including the multiverse theory in this case, we'll throw that in there for some extra horror cred. You know, the multiverse was already proven real in that one clip from Looney Tunes back in action, which was one of the funniest scenes. I still, I still have a smile on my face thinking about how hilarious that moment was. You make me sound like a space cadet. Yes. <laughs> I guess with that in mind, Mike was bringing this up before we started recording. Like, I, I'm not the type that likes to speculate or theorize what's going to happen in the next sequel in a series of movies I like or a franchise that I dig. Uh, I'm kind of honestly just one of those types that's more along for the ride. But I guess, like, what do you guys think the next movie is going to be like? If it's going to be just this conclusion to a new trilogy, what do you guys think it's going to be like? Or, like, just what this one sets up? Um, Why don't you go first? Yeah, so I don't have any ideas, but what I can do is just throw out some random pitches that could be fun for the setting. So, you know, you could do on one thing, um, summer camp would be fun. They're all counselors and, you know, Friday the 13th, they could have some fun with that. Um, that's one idea. They could, uh, have a European vacation could also be very fun. Um, I feel like after this entry, um, sky's the limit. Um, hopefully we won't be seeing them go into outer space anytime soon, but I do love me some Jason X personally. So, you know, we'll see. We will see. Uh, Since you brought up the idea of Friday the 13th, like, let's just say, knock on wood, the Radio Silence guys didn't come back to do this next movie, and they did the whole sleepaway camp, camp counselor, Friday the 13th type stuff. Good replacement would be Lay Janiac 
especially coming off of Fear Street Part 2, that considering that's basically the best Friday the 13th movie never made, I would be totally down with that. That is interesting, Nick. Huh. With a good oh. screenplay. Oh, dude, like huh. I, I love Fear Street. I love Fear Street Part 1. I thought that was a really good kind of scream type of slasher movie but part two is my favorite not just because sadie sinks in it but because you know it just reminds me so much of what's great about friday the 13th and like all the cliches it has but at the same time just making it a just a really good slasher movie um tommy do you have do you have a uh a pitch in mind for scream seven well, if I went into full de- if I went into full details of what I would bring to the table, we'd be here till next Tuesday. But I think that the two things that I'll bring up, I talked earlier about the element of revenge. We have we've seen this revenge, more of a revenge fantasy in the case of specifically Mrs. Loomis, Rowan Bridger, and now Richie's family. But what if the element was taken onto the side of the protagonist. Now, it all begins with the opening scene. And this opening scene, everything's hunky-dory, everything's peaceful, and this would probably take... My idea with this is that this takes place a couple years down the road from where Scream 6 left off. And I'll just say that my the opening scene... My, my, this, I'll, I'll, just say, I'll just say how it's written. Opening scene. Opening scene, Chad's death. Now I'm not sure if he would. Now I'm, I'm I probably wouldn't have him. I, I I may not. I may have him live in the in the vein of what happened to Tara, remnants of what happened to Tara in in Scream 2022. He would, but not necessarily in the vein of Sam, because Sam has done such a wonderful job of overcoming her demons, specifically with her hallucinations. But in the case of Tara, and that. In that element, it's her older sister to say that this is not you, but it ultimately drives and builds toward this final showdown. Fast forwarding to the final act, and you get that setup reminiscent of when of when Sydney and Gail do. You ready for this? Never. Like a re a recreation only from these from the power of this tag team. When it gets to the reveal, the way it could be set up, the one thing that Sydney Prescott never had in the case of a battle with Ghostface, she never had a quote-unquote final boss. That's what this Ghostface has to be. And the person who that would be centers around the motivation. And I ask the three of you this specific question. Billy Loomis Mickey Altieri, Roman Bridger, they all had one thing in common. What was it? I asked that to you to think about. And that sets up the final showdown. I, I like the sound of this. <laughs> My thing, I'm kind of just going into it. I have no idea where this next one's going to go, especially just because... 
this could just be me personally reading into it too much that it's it seems like they're really implying that sam is going to kind of pick up where her dad billy loomis left off like it it implies it to me at least i kind of can't help but go with the next movie is it implying that she's gonna go crazy the way her dad did and plus in terms of things that you would lampoon in horror i'm not sure one part of me would like to see it actually expand upon what was just kind of a little bit hinted at in scream four is make fun of kind of i guess more of the uh how am i going to word this kind of make a mockery i guess of more of the extreme horror side of things especially with like streaming platforms like shutter and bloody disgusting's platform scream box like the ability to find i guess the most extreme types of horror you can imagine like going after something like say just given how much more violent this version of ghostface is currently like kind of make fun of stuff like you know the sadness or just go after something like even maybe terrifier 2 for that matter just given how much of a reputation is terrifier 2 a better example of that being a better super violent movie <laughs> but yeah i kind of would like to see that get parodied in a scream movie to some degree but i have no idea if it's going to be something that radio silence is going to commit to or not i have no clue all i know is as long as the quality is kept high the way it has been across these two movies i'm along for the ride i cannot take credit for for this pitch um but this was something that um that pj campbell shared with me um his pitch involves a cult that is trying to make sam break because they see her as the rightful heir to the mask. Um, you know, obviously, since Billy is the father. So it'll have the core four, Ger- Kirby, Gale, and Sydney, if if they give her the right um, compensation, of course. Taking down the ghost, a ghost face cult. Um, I don't know, some, something about, about that sounds intriguing, given given where the end of this movie uh, left Sam. And I am kind of, I am kind of curious how they take pretty much the opposite of, you know, Sam's social media presence in, um, in this film and kind of um, do like the polar opposite, how, how that would uh, play out. Or just kind of the way I, because like, to be honest with you, Mike, I did not watch any of the trailers beyond just seeing if I, if I couldn't help it, I avoided trailers to the best of my ability. The only thing I saw, poster, release date. That's it. So I, I kind of saw that entire room of Ghostface and just like a still online, probably on Bloody Disgusting. And I kind of couldn't help but go, like, are they going to go with kind of like a cult of Ghostface thing? Or uh, I I have no clue. I actually think that would be a really cool idea, just given what's set up and just fully commit to that concept. I think that would be really, that's actually a really killer idea. 
the way that the the way that I look at it from this cult of ghost face nonsense is there's a reason that the Fredheads draft was not the final was not the final copy of the screenplay to Freddy versus Jason. And the thing with Sam, like Sam being front and center, I think they ended that so beautifully with her discarding the mask and moving on to have her revisit that element again. It would just, it, it's, it'd be the easy way out. You're just, you, the viewer would sit that they'd look at this and they're thinking, no, not this again. Like, I just don't know how they could continue to go back to that without deviating from advancement in the story. It, 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 you have to challenge, the writer has to be challenging. Yes, it, it, it technically has to, but doesn't have to be within the realm of the horror movie milieu. But because the, the genre of horror is big enough as itself, but while there are easy ways to go about it, the bigger challenge is how not to take the easy way out and write a story just for the sake of writing it on that perspective. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point. I didn't think of it that way, to be honest, which, yeah, as kind of, I guess for lack of a better phrase, as, quote, safe as five, you could consider Scream 5, yeah, Scream 6 does enough to mix up the formula and advance the story. So I I, I would agree with that idea that you would want to actually give like a proper conclusion to this character's story rather than just kind of just spinning your tires over and over again. In, in, in other words, we don't we don't need to um, pull a Godfather 3 on Sam for for uh, Scream 7. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's conclude this story the right way and just go, did we need to make another Scream trilogy? No, we did. And it was really fucking good. Um, I will um, just uh, bring up something not on whether they will be a killer or not, but we still have not seen Sam's mother, Sam and Tara's mother. Okay. Think on that. Um, that would be interesting to maybe bring that dynamic into the final movie and tie it together in an interesting way. I guess time will, again, time will tell, especially if uh, whenever 7 gets its release date announced, I'm there opening night again. Yeah, and and as, yeah, bas- basically it's not a matter of if, it's a matter, it's a matter of when, but until we get to that bridge um as as we start to wind down um the last thing that hasn't really brought up been brought up is um the soundtrack and i'm i'm glad i'm glad that we didn't get we didn't just get one but two needle drops of um red right hand oh, oh yes. i I literally was blasting that on my phone in the theater. I didn't care if I pissed people off or not. It's like, if you're getting amped to go see a Scream movie, if that's not playing on your phone before the movie starts, then what are you doing here? Exactly. Yeah, and every 
every Scream soundtrack has that one song that really resonates with the story. And while while the first one, I mean, well, obviously, Red Right Hand is a classic, but when you think back to the first one, which is a soundtrack primarily of covers, that end credit rendition of Whisper to a Scream really stands out as something spectacular, the perfect way to wrap a bow on that love letter horror movie experience. It's like the soundtrack. That was the love letter to music through the covers, the covers of music. And as I was talking earlier with the opening needle drop, this song is the first really good original song of a motion picture from 2023. And of course, I am talking about Demi Lovato's Still Alive. Hell yeah. Brilliant. It is the perfect, just the, this is the type of, this is the type of music that really gets excited, that one really gets excited about. And let me see here. And I revert to my letterbox review here when I say that it is pure movie music enjoyment. The type of original song resembling a perfect fit and combining elements of its promotional story through its lyrics and music video. It's the type of music video one would see playing on repeat at their local video or music store. One, a, a music video that one would see as a bonus feature for the eventual Scream 6 release on home video. Demi Lovato and Mike Sindona have provided a comforting original piece of nostalgia that provides consolation in times of need. A three minute and five second story of survival that sets the tone and wraps a bow on a 123 minute movie experience. This, yeah, I just, it is perfect. Absolutely perfect. I, 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 I this is, it, I get, I get really excited when I listen to music like this. And it, it's, it's the type of one that I, I would be surprised if it doesn't stick with me the rest of the year. It, it is kind of perfect for fans of both um, Demi Lovato and, uh, Lincoln Park, who, by the way, are releasing a 20th anniversary um, edition of Meteora coming soon. Yes. So that's something to look forward to. But yeah, that that song at the end, plus um, we talked we talked about uh, Mike Shinoda's solo song in in my head for the opening credits. Yes. Bo- both both of those are are just kind of perfect for for this movie. Does anybody have a favorite song from the entire um, from from the entire franchise? No pun intended. The entire franchise as a whole. Like when you think about the scream, the scream story, and what's come of it. The Nick, I, de- I defer. Franchise. I defer to you. Um, I I'm not sure. I mean, I I am the guy though who does have the box set of the first four movies soundtracks on vinyl and fun fact once you actually take it out of its sleeve it actually folds all out into a ghost face mask oh that's cool yeah and the vinyl is pressed to clear red vinyl so it's wicked um specific song i don't know if you cut out both of the creed songs the Scream 3 soundtrack is, again, the movie is what it is. Again, if you include 
Slipknot, System of a Down, Seven Dust, Static X, and Power Man 5000 on a soundtrack for a horror movie for me, you're probably going to catch my attention with that. So, yeah, again, that's probably the best thing about three for me. I have certainly never had a moment at 2 a.m. when I have weeped um, loudly <laughs> to the sound of Fallout of Love from Scream uh, 5. Definitely not me. Does not does not sound like me at all. Who told you that? <laughs> you did, Hayden. Got me there. You know, I am... Go ahead, Michael, I, I am looking... I'm looking at the uh, soundtracks for all of the movies, and yeah, I kind of have to agree with Nick. Um, Scream, Scream Three just kind of has like the best soundtrack for you know th- those who are nostalgic for for early two thousands new metal. Oh yeah, like that. Just the it's probably the best thing creed has ever put their name on because apparently they did hand pick some of these songs and part of me would love part of me would really love to think as a big alter bridge fan that tremani picked the particularly heavy ones i i kind of i kind of lean um in that same direction uh yeah one the that part of me is literally just going tremani p- totally would have picked wait and bleed by slipknot Talking about covers that the original soundtrack was was centered on, I would be remiss in neglecting to mention Less Than Jake's cover of I Think I Love You at the end credits of Scream 2. That's one of the best and more original, well, original covers due to its sound that one will ever hear across the music landscape, in my eyes anyway. Just really, when you I'll, do when you compare and contrast to that, it's just incredible. I'll I'll be honest, I forgot that that's where that uh, cover came from. Which 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 what makes it even more not not hilarious in a good way, but spectacular from that sound. All right, so um, final final thoughts as we as we close out this uh, this podcast. Go see it. If you haven't, go see it. Enjoy and, it. Go ahead, go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry. Um, make, make, make sure make sure you go um see it see it with a packed crowd because it just it just makes the experience more more enjoyable. I mean the movie the movie already is great, but the the crowd that I that I saw it with tonight just made the experience even better. It's a scream, baby. That is the only way you can describe this movie. Mwah. Perfect, Hayden. I, I I can't give you enough credit for that reference enough. Bravo. Yeah. And I I guess one of my last things I'll say about the movie is, unlike Mindy, I don't fucking hate this franchise. I love it. And if it keeps the continuity up again, keeps the continuity up, keeps the quality up, and just takes what made the last movie so good and just builds upon what made it so good uh, i'm on board with the next one same absolutely so so before we uh head out of here um first of all tommy thank you for uh 
making your official co-hosting debut. Um, where can everyone find you online? Captain, it's my absolute pleasure. Uh, to the viewers listening, uh, you can check out my work on comic book resources where I have uh, two articles uh, being released in the future about the Scream story and where it's going to be headed. You can also check out my work on Last Word on Sports to see my features centered around the world of motorsports, where I where my latest feature centers around ESPN and a programming proposal for their upcoming coverage of the Superstar Racing Experience. You can check me out on Twitter at T underscore Hughes35. You can also follow me on YouTube, Snapchat, and Instagram at the T Money35. And if you are hungry, I apologize in advance, uh, but you can follow me on my second Instagram at Cooking with T Money, where you can see some of my cooking recipes if you decide to do so. And apologies to Matt Donato, we ran out of time. <laughs> Nick, where could everyone find you? Super Saiyan Death Metal God on Instagram. That's uh, the biggest social media presence I really have. I mostly post heavy metal album covers, whatever albums I have on vinyl, video games, movies or TV shows that I happen to be watching, mainly in the realm of either horror genre or just action-y type stuff. Uh, obviously getting done with the Last of Us series and getting done finishing playing Stray and just, you know, keeping on all the great new heavy metal albums coming out week by week. And yeah, that's my main social media presence. So go shoot me some binge likes and some follows. And Hayden, where can everyone find you? So like Ghostface, I prefer lurking in the shadows. So probably will not um, find me anywhere because I am not going to drop that information because I have been uh, doing a bit of a social media detox lately. So sorry, all you'll have to settle for is my dulcet tones on this podcast. All good. You guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at RenPopCulture. You can also find us on YouTube, on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash RenegadePopCulture. And you can listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need an escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Marquee. We will catch you guys later.